Memphis, Tennessee is home to a lot of things. But one of those is a revival church that is ablaze with apostolic fire. And the pastor is Brother Caleb Adams, who is no stranger to No Limits, has preached here before. He always brings a word from God. And we're delighted he's out of the snow and the ice and in sunny California. How many is ready to receive the word of the Lord from Pastor Caleb Adams from Memphis, Tennessee? Thank you, Pastor Young, and praise the Lord, everybody. I want to concur with Pastor Young that it is good to be in sunny California. We got the biggest snowstorm last night in Memphis that has happened in the last 10 years. And I've been seeing the pictures, and I'm just doubly thankful for No Limits this week. It is an honor to be here. I want to salute the great pastor, first lady of this church, Miles and Sheila Young. Uh, Christy and I count them as some of our best friends. And Miles Young is a true Christian, and he is a leader. And I honor him. I want to honor Bishop Wilson. Man, what a word we just heard today. Words cannot express my deep appreciation for Bishop Wilson and his vision, his burden, and his passion, and uh, for all of what he is doing through Apostolic School of Theology. And it has been one of the, this past year, I uh, enrolled in Bishop's classes, and it's been one of the most transformative seasons of my life. And, and studying under him and, and, and thank you Bishop just thank you for your time and your investment Amen and I also want to say thank you to Rock Church for all of the hard work that you guys put into No Limits you guys are incredible it's good to be here with my wife and my daughter Christiana love them very much and glad they could be in this service and I want to salute my bishop Pastor Joel Holmes I'm glad you're here pastor and I just I just feel safer with you being here being in close proximity to my shepherd it gives me a good and safe feel I want to uh, read in the Word of God from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. I am here this week with one message. Uh, at this point, for me, there is not another sermon in the Bible. Uh, for a number of weeks, I have felt a very clear vein in the Spirit and in just the last uh, couple of days, God has, has impressed this message and the burden of it is coming upon me very heavily. And as the Holy Ghost has a way of doing uh, in these kind of meetings, and No Limits is a spiritual meeting. This is not a fellowship-based meeting. This is a get-a-word-from-God type of meeting. God weaves the preaching together like a beautiful tapestry. And lo and behold, uh, Brother Mayo, in that tremendous preaching last night, he started preaching from the scriptures. And then uh, Brother Wilson, a little bit ago, started preaching 
not only from some of my scriptures but from some of my thoughts that's already on uh, been written down so uh, if some of it seems redundant today just blame it on the Holy Ghost he's just trying to make a point a couple of times over second Timothy chapter 4 Paul's writing this passage towards the end of his ministry. He looks back to a specific time in his ministry. We can read about in Acts 18 where he started the church in Ephesus. And this is what he said. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom... Be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and all the Gentiles might hear and notice this last line and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion so when Paul goes into Ephesus there's a battle and this battle he had to fight all by himself no man stood with me I was there alone but the Lord was with me and then he said that by me the preaching might be fully known so Paul understood that his anointed human spirit was a critical part of the church getting founded in Ephesus and then turning to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32 I want to read just this first part he said if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus and for the next little bit I want to preach about the beast of Ephesus God bless you you can be seated No Limits is a meeting that, at least in my estimation, as one who has attended here for the past five years, is a meeting that is based around an idea or a set of ideals. And people that come to this meeting and attach themselves to what is happening here, it goes much deeper and it's much broader than just a place to see old friends and shake hands and slap backs and exchange stories and have a good time of fellowship and there are meetings that that are just like that that fellowship is the the driving motive behind it and that's got its place but it's this kind this meeting here has never been that for us but it seems to me that there are some ideals here in which this meeting champions the cause of doctrine, holiness, truth, hanging on to the Word of God, sticking to our guns. 
But on the other hand, it brings the elements of vision, growth, progress, and revival. And as taking these two things, strength and progress, and brings it together to a very powerful combination. And it's my belief that some of the greatest apostolic leaders in the world are sitting in this room right now at this very moment. And with all of what uh, is going on here and the progress that this meeting stands for and the individual leaders and church members that are here today, I believe that we are in ways bigger and broader than we'll ever imagine. We are very much an object of interest in the spirit world. Uh, God and the angels of God have an eye on what's happening here and happening in our individual churches. But I also believe that the adversary is, is very aware of who we are and what we are doing. Anytime you've got people that fall in love with holiness and righteousness, but are willing to get out and do something with it, and evangelize and build churches and grow churches, you can mark it down that the adversary is going to get stirred up and he's going to marshal all of his uh, uh, power to try to resist and to hinder. And in order for the church to have progress, we've got to be willing to step into the arena that Pastor Mayo preached to us about last night and we've got to engage the ruling powers of darkness and we've got to take dominion and we've got to establish apostolic authority in our churches and in our cities and through the process of anointed leaders taking dominion the kingdom of God starts to advance and grow and flourish and the adversary understands this dominion thing and so he's going to do everything he can to stop and blockade the progress of dominion on an individual leader level and on a macro level in the local church and as an apostolic movement and so a lot of the times the things that we bump up against in the work of god uh, many times they're, they're physical situations. They oftentimes are rooted in a spiritual reality. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that uh, the worlds were created by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And so this scripture lets us know that the seen world is a product of an unseen world. And not only is that true in creation, but when we go through the Word of God, we find out that physical circumstance is often, oftentimes indicative of spiritual realities. Case in point would be the sores on Job's body. He had real sores and he was really sick. But his sickness was a direct result of a conflict in the spirit. 
when Daniel was not able to uh, see any progress, uh, we find out later on that there was a conflict between the ruling power of Persia and the angel Michael. And so this spiritual uh, battle that was going on had real life, fleshly, tangible implications to it. And if we are going to advance the church and have apostolic revival the way God wants us to have it, it takes people who have an awareness of, of what's going on in the spirit realm and who have enough revelation and enough gumption to step into that arena and to engage what is going on and take authority and establish dominion. Now, it's my personal opinion that a lot of ministries never really see a lot of advancement because they never really engage in a very deep level of spiritual warfare. Sometimes this is due to naivety. Other times this is due to carnality. I personally do not think you can have a preacher who is obsessed with the ball games and who watches television and a church full of TV watchers you can't all get together on Sunday after a week full of carnality and get any spiritual traction Like one church in an area between Michigan and Florida, I just talked to a member of that church telling me how last year at Super Bowl, uh, the pastor projected um, the Super Bowl onto the screens and the platform. And uh, he told me, he said, uh, and he was telling the truth. He said, he said, I sat there and he said, now I'll just be honest. He said, I don't like sports. But he said, I'm sitting there and he said, there's Beyonce up there dancing half naked on our platform. This is an apostolic church that's a member of a well-known apostolic organization. And that kind of Pentecost is not getting any spiritual dominion. You're not engaging the adversary, the ruling powers of darkness when you're doing that. It takes people who have the spirit of holiness to even get in the arena. But then on the other hand, some people don't engage because there's this unspoken, subtle fear of what might happen if I really step on out there and start doing everything God told me to do. How hard's the devil going to fight? What's the price going to be paid? And so they shrink back and they call a truce with the devil and they get in this little safe comfort zone and spend their entire life and don't grow and grow. Progress. But the Bible clearly teaches that spiritual warfare is an integral part of growth and revival. Now, I understand there's a de 
danger of looking for devils behind every bush. If you look for the devil, you're going to find the devil. And then you're going to start finding things that you think are the devil that aren't the devil. They're just flesh. And I don't think we need to structure our services to be devil-centered. We don't need to sing all of our songs about stomping on the devil. There is a danger in getting off into a bunch of hokey weird stuff when you get into the whole area of spiritual warfare. But on the other hand, while some people see devils everywhere, there are others who can't see devils anywhere. And they just want to pass off a bunch of stuff as the people are just being people. And, and this is just the way it is. And, and, and this is just, this is just, this is just, this is just natural problems. But if you, if you look at spiritual opposition, and, and the problems you have in the natural that are really rooted in the spiritual if you can't see the spiritual force behind the natural problem you're going to frustrate yourself trying to get dominion over the natural problem there are some things that will never change in the natural until you get in the arena and start engaging these things in the area of the supernatural An excellent case study for this is the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. In Ephesus, um, Paul went there. He started a church that I have read. Times past that the church in Ephesus became one of the largest, if not the largest, congregation of the New Testament era. Ephesus is one of the seven churches of Revelation. Ephesus was a place that uh, spawned many great ministries. It was a trend-setting church in that era. But it was also what was, in my opinion, the most defining place and encounter of the Apostle Paul's ministry. On several occasions, Paul writes to us about his time in Ephesus. And nearly every time, if not every time, that Paul talks about being in Ephesus, he talks about the conflict and the spiritual opposition and the, the demonic activity that he had to wade through in Ephesus to get the church built and here in our text today he is remembering towards the end of his life how that when he went to Ephesus there was Alexander the coppersmith who with his subversive words fought against the character of Paul and he talks about fighting the lion and the beast in Ephesus I believe that Paul's references to beasts were clearly a reference to demonic activity. He wasn't talking about getting in a Roman-style coliseum and fighting a literal lion. But when he talked about God shutting the mouth of the lion and fighting with the beast of the city, he was in essence saying, when I went into Ephesus to start a church, there were ruling demonic powers there that were like beasts and they were like lions and in order to get the work of God done 
I had to step into that spiritual arena and fight with the beasts that were in Ephesus. And we go through the Bible, we find that starting in Genesis chapter 3, there is a clear connection in the Word of God between beast and demonic activity. We read of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible said now the serpent was more subtle than all of the beasts of the field. And the first beast that the Bible introduces us to is that of a serpent. And the serpent slithered his way or snuck his way into the garden of Eden. And this first beast was known for being able to intrude into a holy place where he did not belong. The first church in the Bible was the Garden of Eden. It was had clear parameters. And the serpent was a beast of the field. The field was the wild, overgrown area outside the garden. And the serpent didn't belong in the church. It belonged in the field. But the field, the beast of the field, got into the garden. And this beast started to attack but his attack was not to throw swords and knives and it was an attack with bullets or sickness but the first beast that man had to encounter the first spiritual uh, first battle in spiritual warfare known to humanity was a war of words this beast was a talking head he had words to distract, words to divide, words to cause man to pull away from the authority of God and the authority of the Word of God. The words of the first talking head, talking beast, was, was to try to separate man from being obedient to his authority. Now, in fighting the beast, there is that spirit that will work into a church that is there to sow distrust between the people on the pew and the leader in the pulpit. And that beast can pull up a long fact sheet of other ministries and other places that have failed. And that beast can pull up a fact sheet of the fact that the pastor and the bishop aren't perfect and they got their faults and failures and we understand that. But there is a spirit that finds expression through carnal people that are seeking to divide members of the church away from the efforts of the church to encourage to not be a part and not participate and to find another church or do something different it is a spirit of division but i've come to preach to you today 
that the voice of the Holy Ghost is never a secret voice that slips into your home or car and has secret meetings to try to divide you away from the leader that God has put you together with. That is not how the Holy Ghost works. I don't care how spiritual those kind of people are. I don't care what their list of reasons are. If they're trying to divide you away and keep you from being involved and keep you from attaching yourself to the mission of this local church, you're dealing with a beast. That's a snake spirit. It's an ugly spirit. It's a slimy spirit. And at some point, you got to hold up your hand and say I love you but I'm not letting you dump on me anymore so we have that snake spirit that's that slippery slimy spirit that slithers into the youth group slithers into the church and it's always talking Talking, 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 talking. But there are other beasts in the Bible connected with the spirit realm. The next one we read of is in Job. We read of Leviathan. Job 41. Entire chapter is about Leviathan. And Leviathan is a, to me anyway, a very enigmatic creature. But many commentators agree that Leviathan is talking about a crocodile. But when you read all of what God has to say about Leviathan, it's clear that he's not just talking about a crocodile, but there's spiritual implications behind Leviathan. And this creature is different than the serpent. In that crocodiles, they're famous for killing their victims by grabbing a hold of them and they pull them into the water. And when they, especially if they get a larger animal like a big dog or a deer, that crocodile will pull them into the water and it goes into a death roll. And that crocodile begins to spin and then in the process of being spun under the water, the animal loses its bearings. It loses its perception. It loses its ability to know which way's up or down. And if it were to get loose, it doesn't even know which way to go. And as it's pulling the animal under the water in a death row, it starts trying to dismember limbs from its body. And I'm going to tell you, in pastoring, I have dealt with the spirit of Leviathan, in which good people, smart people, all of a sudden start doing stupid things and then some gets a hold of them and they lose their bearing and they lose their perspective and they just start wigging out. Pastor, I'm just confused. I just need some time away. I just need to take a break. I'm just so confused. I'm going to tell you, if you're confused, 
It's not the Holy Ghost making you confused. God's not the author of confusion. That's the adversary. Pastor, I just don't know if I can trust anybody. I just, you had one or two people in church do you wrong, and now you're saying you can't trust the whole church? I'm going to tell you, 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 you got a crocodile spirit latched on to you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house today. That beast of Ephesus is there to disorient people who are leaders, cause them to lose their perspective and their perception, to feel like they're in so far over their head that there's no way out whatsoever. But the next time in the Word of God we find the beast linked to the demonic is in Psalm chapter 22 and verse 1. Bishop talked about it. This was a messianic prophecy of David. And he talks here about the bulls of Bashan. And, and this is the prophet speaking about the passion of the Christ. And he said, many bulls have compassed me about strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about and this scripture was prophetically talking about the moment when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he looked out there and there were big beefy Roman soldiers uh, that had him completely surrounded and every one of those soldiers wanted him to die and the terror and the loneliness uh, that came with being surrounded uh, by the bulls of Bashan. The bulls of Bashan were in Bible times they were the biggest fattest bulls there was because of the abundance of pasture that was in Bashan and so when the Bible talks about being surrounded by the bulls of Bashan this is a reference to demonic spirits that have so infused themselves into your circumstances that it makes you feel like there is no way out and there's no way through it and it strikes terror into your heart. It brings an incredible feeling of loneliness like there's not one person in the world that cares and there's not one person in the world that can help you. It's a feeling of being forsaken by God and abandoned to the enemy. In my opinion, this is one of the deepest realms of spiritual worship. There is when the bulls of Bashan all around you and you feel all by yourself. And a little later in the psalm, he said, My God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? And then, moving right along, there's another passage of scripture that Lincoln's links spirits to beasts, and that's the birds of the air. In Revelation chapter 18, John talked about Babylon. And it said, Babylon, in verse 2, is become a habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird and there is there is a demonic attack that is very similar to vultures that starts circling around 
a weakened, dying animal getting ever closer, waiting for the moment of death to set in so they can start picking apart what is left of the carcass. This is what Abraham dealt with in Genesis when he laid out the sacrifice that was going to seal the covenant. A whole lot was riding on that sacrifice going through. But after he laid the sacrifice on the altar, the Bible said, here come the fowls of the air. And Abraham was only to go through and get the covenant ratified by standing over his sacrifice, driving away the birds. I'm going to tell you what you got to do when you start doing the work of God and you set a vision and you start stepping forward. You got to start watching for the vultures. These evil spirits want to pick apart one mouthful at a time, one little setback at a time, one little distraction at a time. And if you're not careful, everything you've done for God will get apart and it takes an anointed man to wait out in the middle of the sacrifice and say I'm not letting you take it get out of here you filthy spirit get back from here you're not welcome in this church hallelujah I won't tell you about spiritual warfare. It's there. I saw something I've never seen before. This morning, Paul goes into Ephesus and he fights beasts. The lion was there. He is all by himself. The bulls of Bashan all around. And he gets a church established. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he recollects that moment. And he said, he said, I went there and I fought with the beast of Ephesus. But in chapter 16, he said, I'm going back to Ephesus because there's a great door open and it's an effectual door. But he also said in addition to the great door, there are many adversaries there. And so that lets me know that in spiritual warfare, you don't conquer it one time. But those beasts continue to lurk in the shadows. And as long as you're in the arena, those enemies are going to be there. And so it all comes down to this in my closing today. The main ingredient for spiritual warfare, in my estimation, is an anointed human spirit that steps into the devil's territory and says, I'm planting the Holy Ghost flag and I'm going to stand here and I'm going to defend this flag. I'm going to expand this territory if it kills me to do it. Someone said, well, I thought the Holy Ghost 
was the greatest deal in spiritual warfare well you got to have the holy ghost but i'm gonna tell you there's a lot of churches that have the holy ghost that can't break over 20 people after 30 years of ministry and they're not getting victory someone else said well i thought it was the word of god i believe the word of god's an essential part of it but there's plenty of preachers that preach the word of god and they never get victory in addition to the having the holy ghost and the word of god there's got to be that indomitable courageous spirit of an anointed man or an anointed woman that says hey devil you fought far enough i'm not letting go i'm going to drive you out of here up to your fears and step on out in Jesus name go ahead and get that building started go ahead and knock down that wall go ahead and buy that church van buy that church bus you've been counting the pennies and you've been trying to work it out on paper quit trying to do that at some point you gotta say hey I'm God's man and I'm coming in and I'm coming in to conquer and I'm coming in to set my stake and I ain't leaving Be seated. Back in 2000 and November 2012, God blessed our church to be able to acquire a prime piece of property to build a new church. 21 acres. It's completely fronted on Interstate 40. It was initially developed to be a subdivision. The builder went out, or God took him out. And uh, we bought the property. And long story short, we were able to pay cash for it. Just got it for a bargain. And plans made to build a church. But some happened. We made plans, known and made it public. We were going to build a new church. Things that had been settled and quiet for years started erupting. And I'm going to tell you, for both my wife and I, 2014, well, we had a lot of victories in 2014. It was a week of hell or a year of hell. And we fought all these devils I'm talking to you about. They've been camped out in Memphis for the last year and a half. And in the middle of this, we, God's blessing, making progress. Back earlier last year, we kind of hit a stopping place and just, just couldn't seem to get traction. And part of the equation is we bought this property that would have great visibility on Interstate 40. But we had one problem, is our fence line, it was fields all the way up to our fence line, but between our fence and where the asphalt of the interstate started was a thick tree line. 
And so you could stand on our property, you could hear the interstate, but you couldn't see it. And so we got that property, we just, I guess, naively assumed we could get some guys out there on Saturday with some chainsaws and whack them trees down. But did you know they got laws about cutting trees? You thought that was just California there. You California spread, man. I don't know if that's a good thing, but. So we got checking into it. And we found out if you went, bought the right insurance policies, got bonded, you could file for a permit with the city to cut trees that were four inches and smaller, but nothing any bigger than that could be cut. And you weren't guaranteed to get that. You could just ask for it. But the problem with this tree line, I mean, some of those were there before your great-grandfather was born. They were big old trees. And so, in the midst of all the other stuff that was going on, I started feeling this sick feeling inside of we have got ourselves in trouble. We bought this property, so we have visibility. And it doesn't look like it can happen. And so, we weighed out. I mean, I'm just being honest. I'm not saying this is right. I'm just being honest. Wait out, what if we just cut the trees and paid the fine? <laughs> but there they attach fines to, tr to individual trees. And we figured out after a while that wouldn't be a deal. And then we started thinking, well, just hypothetically, if we could cut them all, I mean, it's probably, I don't know how many feet, maybe 1,100, 1,500 feet. And it, it could have cost $100,000 or better to have all them trees cut up and carted away. And man, we were in trouble. And uh, I was driving down the road, driving in the Memphis area, and I was driving another part of the freeway somewhere else, 10 miles away from our property. And I saw these big backhoes out on the side of the road. And these big backers, they had crews of guys, they were cutting these big trees and clearing property along interstate somewhere else. And I thought, you know, it'd be a nice deal if that was happening in front of our property. So I didn't think it'd probably be best if the pastor would be the one doing the calling. I got a very great single young man in our church. I said, hey, I said, see if you can find out who runs that crew and tell them about our situation. See if they can help us out. So he got, on, got sniffing around and figured out this crew was not a city crew, it was a state crew. Or there was a crew that had a state contract. And the guy in the state in the capital three and a half hours away was the one that told the crew where to go. So long story short, he got, he got on the phone with the big boss and showed him on the internet where the property line was. He said, hey, you've got this crew across town. Is there any chance you could help us out with these trees? It was a long shot. He made that call towards the end of one week. And we
we didn't know if anything would come up. The guy said, I'll see. He said, he said, I'll be honest, I don't know if you help or not. He said, I'll see what I can do. We only have one week left on our contract. And, and as I was preparing to preach for that Sunday morning, God gave me a message from the book of Zechariah where Joshua was standing before the throne and Satan was standing there to resist him and in preparing for this message my mind wasn't on trees I wasn't preaching about trees I wasn't preaching about our deal he would just preach what God gave me and Joshua the the priest is in a building program that's delayed and and the adversary is is resistant and the reason the building's not going forward is because there's a resistance in the spiritual and he's in filthy garments this is a man that's dirty from the battle and he's standing there and all of a sudden God speaks to Joshua he said I'm going to give you places to walk amongst these that stand by or in other words the adversary is just gonna have to stand and watch because I'm making a path to go right through the middle of them I preach we're gonna have revival we're gonna do it wasn't preaching about a building program but Monday morning I got up and drove by our church property and there was big backhoes out on the fence line there were men with chainsaws and those big old trees were getting scalped they scalped every tree and bush all the way to the ground and they ground up the stumps the people in the city were complaining but somebody from state level had overrode what the city was doing and God gave us a place to walk amongst those that stood by I'm here to tell you there's no substitute for the anointed human spirit that says I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it I had about six men to run the aisles right now. I feel a spirit of holy boldness. I'm taking dominion. Satan, back up. Get your hands off. Feel like somebody ought to stomp on the devil right now. Why don't you clap your hands, leap for joy? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. This arena of spiritual warfare. You get out there and you're like Paul. It wasn't nobody standing with me. By myself. Bulls of Bashan staring. The terror. But there was something in his human spirit. 
I said, I'm going to get it done in Jesus' name. And it was that something in his spirit that caused God to step down and said, hey, if you're willing to stay, I'm going to get in this thing and I'm going to stay with you and me and you are going to get it done together. And I'm preaching to some people right now that are where I'm preaching about. You're in the middle of the battle. You're all by yourself. And God's wanting to infuse a holy boldness, a resolute determination in your spirit to, to stick your ground to make it happen. If you need that spirit of boldness to get on you, why don't you lift your hands? And I want us to have a prayer meeting together. In Jesus' name. We rebuke the quitting spirit. We take authority over fear. Doubt. 